Uh, so today we're tar- starting a new series. We do this every August. I really like it. Uh, we're looking at one of the minor prophets, one of the like flyover books in the Bible between Psalms and the New Testament. Uh, there's these books about guys uh, who heard a message from God and had to de- deliver it to their people. And this one is called Living by Faith because we're looking in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a guy who gets pushed by God uh, and put in a situation that he never would have expected. He's got something going on. He asks God to do something and God God does something that is not the way that he would have done it whatsoever, and God pulls him close to himself and then pulls him through this situation in a way that's going to benefit us for the next four weeks. Before we get to Habakkuk, to kind of set the stage and and figure out why he does what he does and why so many things are in here that are in here, I want to give us some backstory. So the whole relationship of, uh, of God with Judah, which is the country that Habakkuk is the prophet for, it all begins in, God, in the relationship between God and a person named Abraham. Abraham. Abraham is really old. He doesn't have any kids. Uh, it says that his wife is up in years. The Bible doesn't say she's old because they want to be sensitive. Uh, so God tells Abraham that from you, you're going to have a son and every nation on the earth is going to be blessed through you. And Abraham says, you are joking because I am old and my wife is up in years. Again, he uses the phrase that pays. And uh, And so God begins to work with Abraham and and lead him through thing after thing. And eventually, Abraham's wife becomes pregnant. He's like 100. She is very old. uh, And she has a baby. And that baby has, uh, he gets married. and, And then there's more kids and more kids. And eventually, there's this huge nation of people that starts from a really, really old man and his up in age wife. Because God is showing them from the beginning that your relationship with me isn't just going to be based on things you can control. It's going to be based on the unstoppable power of God. And so that takes tons of different ways and shapes and and huge obstacles that God removes for his people to walk into the blessings that he has for them. Things go really well. We meet guys like King David, who under whom the nation of Israel, which Judah is a part of, flourishes. But soon after that, as we're getting toward where Habakkuk lived, stuff starts to go down fast. This, this nation that was one, that, that God said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless every country on earth, uh, it splits into two. One of them is Israel, and one of them is Judah. That's who Habakkuk is with. And right before Habakkuk is born, like two generations before, everything gets good again. It's like that, that light where you see, okay, things could actually go well for us again. They, they start bringing things back to the way that God created them to be. The whole country is back following God again under a king named Josiah. Josiah dies one day and everything is like immediately back to bad. And so it's in the middle of stuff being bad that we meet Habakkuk. And so if you're looking through your Bible, go to the table of contents. You can even go to the alphabetized section, find the H's, uh, get to Habakkuk. And through Habakkuk, uh, we're going to see that life for us as Christians is something that we live by faith. And living by faith means that we no longer go through life in neutral. Right? The way that, thing, that Habakkuk sees things, the way that his life intersects with God's mission is that Habakkuk is living a life that is nothing like anything else that he sees around him. So if you're in a neighborhood or in a home or where you are at work, you're trying to follow Jesus and you feel like everybody around you is totally pulling you the opposite way, welcome to the club. You're going to fit in really well for the next four weeks. And so we see this. Living by faith means we no longer go through life in neutral. And Habakkuk starts like this. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? 
Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you don't come to safe. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I'd see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. He's, what he's, he's going through inside with God is not something that he sees around him. And so he's crying out to God, like, what, what's going on? He's done going through life in neutral. He's saying, God, I want you to do something about everything else that I see. Habakkuk has heard stories about when things were good. He's been told the stories about how the whole nation turned from sin and turned to following Jesus just two generations before. And now he looks at the world that he lives in. He says it, it's it's bad and I can no longer go through life in neutral. It's a call to action. Habakkuk is answering the, the cries of the Holy Spirit inside of him to do something. For us as Christians, this is our story. This is our DNA. This is how we work. There's a story in the New Testament. That's the part of the Bible that's after Jesus of a guy named Paul who used to hate Christians until he became a missionary uh, going into a city where nobody knew about God and he's teaching them about Jesus and there's a big mob that forms against him. And so they end up dragging him out of town and throwing rocks at his head until they think that he's dead. We pick this up in Acts 14, the story of Paul. In a situation like Habakkuk where, where things have gone completely sideways and he's trying to correct them, but they try to kill him instead. And one of my favorite verses, like I've got it underlined with the thick pen in my Bible. It's uh, Acts 14. In verse 20, and it says, As the believers, believers gathered around Paul on the ground, bloody, because the people he was ministering to just tried to kill him, Paul got up and he went back into town. I love that. I love that attitude. That even though everything around me is far from Jesus, I'm going to pull everyone that I can with me to follow Jesus together. I'm not going through life in neutral like what Habakkuk is saying. What's going on in our world is what he's saying. God, I want you to get involved. I want you to do something. That's what Paul's doing, and it almost cost him his life. So as they gathered around him, and Paul got up, and he went back into town. He says, even my life isn't worth holding on to if it's going to prevent me from telling other people about Jesus. And then I love the next verse. It says, the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Like, it's not even anything to remark about, because this is just in our DNA. This is who we are as Christians, is that we fight huge battles. We fight against huge giants, because we want to see God come in to work through us, to do something huge, starting in one person. We're saying, God, that's me. I'm ready. I'm no longer going to go through life in neutral. That's what Paul experienced, and that's where Habakkuk is right now. He looks around him, he looks at the city that he's living in, he looks at the people who should know the way that God's telling them to live, and are living totally different. And he's saying, God, I want you to do something. How long must I call to you for help? That means he's started calling for help. He's asking God to work in his country. And church, this is, the, this is the life that God blesses. This is where God uses us. Is he puts us in dark places to shine light in the midst of the darkness. We're not here on Sundays just for here Sundays. We're here on Sundays from Sunday afternoon all the way again until Sunday morning before we get here. Is we're sent out into the world to make Jesus look good, to be salt and light in dark and dying places, not just because we want here to be great, but because we want our whole world to be transformed by the good news of Jesus through people like us who are saying, I'm no longer going through life in neutral. Habakkuk sees brokenness all around him and he knows that he can't fix it. He's one guy. There's a king, and the king can't fix it because he doesn't care. 
He's saying, I can't do anything. I'm one man against a whole society. But he's fighting a big battle, and he's bringing God into the battle. I think one of the reasons in our lives where we don't see God accomplishing massive things is because we're not trying to fight big battles. We bunt. We go for the easy thing. We go for what's simple instead of sacrificing and really stepping out in faith to say, God, you've put this burden on my heart. I don't know how it's going to end, but I'm going to dive in, even to fight against something way bigger than me. This is one man fighting against a whole society so that God comes through, works through us, does the miraculous, and at the end we're left seeing what God did through a person like you and me. I think we don't see big victories because we don't fight big battles. And living by faith means that we're going to get out of neutral. We're getting into drive. We're putting ourselves in a place where we can see God do something through us. Where that discontentment does something more than just make us bitter. For Habakkuk, his discontentment pushed him to God. It pushed him to reach out to God to get involved. He didn't start blogging it. He didn't put it on Facebook to whine and complain about what's going on with the world. He took it to God who could actually do something. For him and for us, our discontentment pushes us into action. It's something that pushes us into action. He was not satisfied with the way that things were. His discontentment pushed him to make a change and stuff. One of the kids up here uh, for second service and for first service was my son, Micah. You know that it was him because he was wearing a blue shirt with an orange and black BB-8 logo on it, purple shorts with green stripes. All he's missing is black, ground, black brown, yellow, and green, and he had whole, like the whole Crayola box on his body. Uh, that is not the way that we dressed him. All right? Anna and I looked at his clothes last night. We were putting stuff away. We picked out a bomb shirt. We gave him some nice shorts. Like, man, you're going to look good at church today. So he wakes up. Anna dresses him. We're going on with the morning. Boy sneaks off to his room, gets dressed in what he wants to, and comes to church looking like the bad end of a Crayola box. Here's the asterisk to that story, okay? We've been working for six months to get that kid to dress himself. All right, I'll give him his PJs, which is just shirt, shorts, no underoos. He's just got to, like, take care of shirts and shorts. That's all he's got to deal with. Doesn't have to change his underoos, and he won't do it. Yet when it comes to changing everything for church, all of a sudden he's motivated to go make a difference. He'll wander his way up to his room, find his clothes that he wore not too long ago, put him back on, and come down ready because he was no longer content to stay where he was. For us, this isn't a matter of us just white-knuckling it and saying, okay, I'm going to make a difference even if it kills me because I, I just should. Nah, this is where God takes our hearts, where God puts a burden in our hearts to make a difference around us. One of the things that I pray for, and you can pray for me, uh, as your pastor, is that I have God's heart for lost people, that I look at the people around me, I look at the people around our church, the community around our church, and I don't get angry about the way that people aren't following Jesus or whatever, but that my heart breaks for the lostness that we have in our city. As Christians, if, if our heart doesn't break for the lost people around us, the lost situations around us, if our heart doesn't break for our society, then there is no hope for our society. God created us with a conscience, with sensitivity to him, to other people, with mercy and compassion built into us as a result of the Holy Spirit to push us into action. And our action starts with prayer. Our action starts and is only effective in prayer when we bring God into the situation. And this is the first step for us. This is the first step. Sometimes you look at prayer as a last resort, like if all else has failed, you pray. Because that's when God is like free to deal with your crisis. God's saying, no, 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 this is a relationship. You can bring me in often. Bring me in forever. 
There's a story of Jesus and his disciples, and they're out on a boat in the water, and there's a big storm, and everything's going crazy, uh, and Jesus is asleep because he can control his sleep. He's God. He can make sure he sleeps through everything, kind of like me as a parent. It's amazing. But his disciples wake him up, and they're like, Master, we're going to drown. And Jesus' first words to them is, where's your faith? I think typically we read that situation as, where's your faith? We're not going to drown. But I look at that and I, I see Jesus asking me, where's your faith? Why didn't you wake me earlier? Why didn't you bring me into this situation earlier? And it's not a rebuke. He's not saying like you did this wrong. He's saying, I'm good. I'm a good father in a good mood. You can bring me into this situation as early as you want. And for us to see any lasting change in anything that we do, whether it's in ourselves, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's with our kids, whether it's in our society, we bring God into the picture early. I say it all the time, prayer is the end of our best and the beginning of God's best. I want to get started on the best part as early as possible. And so Habakkuk, he brings God into the situation. He says, everything's bad. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. And the Lord replies, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if somebody told you about it. Boom, like that's a great answer. Habakkuk asks God to get involved and God immediately says, I'm gonna do something that is so great that you never would have expected it. And Habakkuk being like us, we think, man, that sounds great. That's a really good quote. I should put that on my Instagram or something, put a good picture behind it or of something like lifting weights or whatever. And God's like, no, no, no. I said something that you wouldn't expect. It's not like you winning the battle. I'm going to do something that you wouldn't expect because when we bring God into our situation, we cannot control what God's going to do. We can't control it. And so God does something that Habakkuk never understood. And, and this is, again, where this story, this person, this life really intersects hardcore with us. Verse 6, he says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty and they do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and they capture them. They sweep past like the wind and they're gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. And Habakkuk's like, what? No, no. God, I asked you to get involved. And so what you do is you say you're going to raise up the Babylonians. What that means in 21st century is you picture the worst group of people the worst group of people that if there is an earthquake that opened up a crack over this group of people's city and it falls down to the ground and then swallows them whole, we would look at all the horrible things that they have done and what just befell them and we'd say, yeah, that, yeah, that seems right. That seems fair. They did horrible things. They got a horrible thing done to them. That seems fair. That's the Babylonians in this situation. Habakkuk is asking God to clean house. God says, I'm going to clean house with the worst group of people that you can think of. And Habakkuk says, that, that, that's not what I asked for. This doesn't make sense here. This isn't what I wanted. God, there was a need. I asked you to get involved. And then what you did just totally doesn't work for me. And that's how it is with God sometimes. I think if we're honest, we can admit that there have been times like that in all of our lives where we ask God to do something. We ask God to get involved. We follow the steps that they've told us to do. We pray the prayers that they were supposed to pray. We pray them often. We do all the right things. And God comes through with something that we don't get. 
And that's something that we see in the Bible over and over again. Where people are crying out to God for something. And he does something, but it's not what they understand. You read the book of Psalms. It's uh, 150 chapters of, of people who loved God just crying out to God in a various different circumstances. Sometimes you got stuff with like, God, your laws are so great that I think about them at night and it keeps me up because they are so good. Flip over one page. God, have you forgotten about me? Flip over the next page. Lord, you're my shepherd. I have nothing to worry about. Flip over to the other page. God, all my enemies are trying to kill me and you have not returned my calls. Like this is how it is in the, in the Bible. You look at people whose hearts are on fire for God and one of the things that God draws them to is honesty with him. We're gonna talk about this a little bit more next week. But for us to be in a place in our lives where we've asked God to do something and the thing that God does absolutely doesn't make sense to us, that puts us in the club with so many people in the Bible. God calls us into a hurting world. He equips us to make a difference in our lives, to let his power come into us and actually change what's going on in us from the inside of us to the outside of us. And then that goes down a path that we don't understand. And what God says is even in the midst of that, that you can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me when the sickness doesn't leave. You can trust me when the relationship gets tough. You can trust me when the marriage isn't getting better. We can trust God when, when our fears are crippling us and we're not seeing growth. Part of the reason that we trust God even through these times is because we know the longer that we live, the more times we've seen this battle won in our lives and won in our lives is because we know that there will be a day where everything makes sense. There will come a point in our lives where we can look back at the ways that God has led us by hand through dark parts of our lives and he never let go and he can turn us around and show us at the end, man, this is where I carried you through that battle. This is where I carried you through that addiction. This is where I carried you through that dark part in your marriage where I then taught you a new way to love each other and take care of each other and we saw that grow strong again. And we can trust God when things don't make sense because the cross of Christ didn't make sense. Right, we look at it now and the cross is beautiful. It's our invitation into relationship with God. But if we roll back the clock, 2018 years, let's just put ourselves there, okay? We're people who are trying to follow God. We're living as slaves to the Romans. God had told Abraham long ago that through you, all, through you every nation on earth will be blessed. It doesn't feel like a blessing to live as a slave right now. And then this person comes on the scene. And he's teaching people how God loves them. He's the skin on embodiment of God's love for all creation. For the people that have been kind of kicked out of society and for the tight religious people, he's God's love for all of them. He heals people. He brings people back from the dead. He exposes corruption, not as a cruel taskmaster, but as a loving shepherd who's calling people back from darkness to light. Everything's going well. We think that he's going to be the king who's going to crush the Romans and run him out of town. And then all of a sudden, one of his own people turns on him. And in the blink of an eye, he goes from the king of the city, we would like to make him king, to being hung on a cross by the Romans as an example of what you should never do to rebel against Rome. That's the life of Jesus. That when we thought, if we put ourselves in that place, that he's going to come and win every battle for us with the sword and chop off the heads of the Romans and we're going to have our own freedom that the Bible tells us we're going to have. Instead, our freedom is hung on a cross to die. 
There's, that happened on a Friday, like historically speaking. There's nothing in the Bible written about what happened on Saturday. I think part of the reason of that is because everybody was shocked. Like we had a plan about how God was, had sent Jesus, the warrior king, to come in and save his people from the Romans. And then he got killed brutally in a humiliating way. And so nobody says anything. Nobody does anything on Saturday. And so Sunday morning, there are some women who go with burial spices to anoint Jesus' dead body because they expect him to be dead. And they walk up to the tomb, and instead of the big rock being over the, over the front of the tombs so that nobody could steal Jesus' dead body, the stone is rolled away. And his dead body is an alive body who has walked out. All of a sudden, this plan that didn't make any sense begins to give life. And when God said that he was going to bring absolute freedom for all time, that there's going to be permanent forgiveness of sin, because there was going to be a servant from God who was going to take on the sin of the entire world, it all started to make sense. That when the prophet Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus, that through Jesus' physical punishment, we were all going to receive healing, the light started to go on. And the situation that didn't make sense began to make sense because God sent Jesus into the world to never sin, yet pay the penalty for all of our sin to make us right with God. That's the point of it all. And God demonstrates this in the cross, a situation that makes no sense to remind all of us for those situations in our lives where we look at what God is doing and we say, you have messed up. This does not make sense. God says, trust me. God says, trust me. That's what he tells Habakkuk. With God in control of this situation, we know we can trust him, even even if it's not what we expect. And Habakkuk takes the perfect posture in this. The first verse of chapter two. So he's just said, God, I want you to intervene. God says, okay, I'm going to intervene in the Babylonians. Habakkuk says, no, let's try again. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I will climb my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what, he, what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. He's saying, God, I'm ready to see your action. I'm going to do what I've done before. He's a watchman and so he's going to do his job to wait and see the ways that God is going to respond. And that's God's invitation for us when we feel like things in life don't make sense. He's saying, wait for me to respond. Continue to dig in. Continue to do what you know you need to do to get close to me, which is read the Bible, surround yourselves with Christians, begin to pray about it without stopping. He says, continue to do these things, and you're going to see me respond. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's a verse you can write on your hand and look it up later and underline it 15 times in your Bible. It gives us a roadmap for situations like this. The guy who's writing, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. You don't understand, what do we do? We do those three things, and there is no guarantee that we're gonna get an answer in those three things. Trust in the Lord. Okay, that's what we did. That's what got us into the situation. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his way in all you do, and then what happens? And God will show you which path to take. It's three steps of obedience before there is any understanding. It's three steps of Habakkuk going up to his watchtower to say, God, I don't get what you're doing, but I'm going to see you do it. In faith, I know that this is going to come back around. That situations like the cross where in the moment they make no sense. Now we look back 2,000 years in the future and we see that it is the plan of God to bring about forgiveness to the people of God. Everyone who asks for it finds forgiveness through a plan that did not make sense 
at the time. That's where God is drawing us in the book of Habakkuk, to live by faith for the things that we don't understand, for the moments in our life where we look at it and we say, God, I think you're doing it wrong. God says, trust me, depend on me, follow me, and I will show you exactly which step to take. Because God, with God in control of the situation, we can trust him even if it's not what we expect. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are our shepherd who leads us through dark valleys. That we don't have to stay there because we know that you're going to lead us through it. We thank you for the cross, which is the biggest invitation to relationship in the history of the world. That you took on human form to come and pay for our sins in a death like a criminal so we can have a relationship with you. Thank you that that is a plan that did not make sense at the time. But looking back on it, it makes complete sense because it's the power of God at work to save humanity. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, you've never asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to change you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you, today is that day. You are not admitting that you are a perfect person. You're agreeing with every other Christian in here that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that that Savior today is Jesus and always will be. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three. And when I say three, if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus and today's your day to do it, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's gonna lead you through giving your life to Jesus, asking him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and change you into a new person. So one, God loves you. He always has. He always will. And today, he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we tell God, get out of here. We're doing things our own way. That's called sin. And Jesus came uh, to end our separation from God by forgiving us, forgiving us of our sin and bringing us into a relationship with Jesus. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. I'm ready for a relationship with God. Is there anyone like that here today? If that's you and today is your day to find forgiveness for your sins, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's going to pray with you and it'll be the best decision you could ever make. All right, for the rest of us. Some of us are in one of those situations where we don't know what to do. Where we're looking at what God's doing and the things that are coming down the pike and we're like, God, what, what is this? I don't get this. This is not what I asked for. In those moments, God's calling us into relationship. And so you might not be a respond at the end of the, type of, end of the service type person, but I'm calling you to it today. The front is gonna be open for us to sit, to kneel, to stand, whatever you wanna do. And we're gonna give that situation to God. I encourage you, if you're comfortable with it, put your hands up. Like you're saying, God, here it is. I'm gonna trust you. I'm not gonna lead on my own understanding. I'm gonna follow you in every way possible. And I'm trusting that in that, in this situation that I don't get right now, that you're going to work a miracle. That's going to come out better than I understand. I'm trusting you with my future. I'm trusting you with this situation. If that's you, again, you can come up, you can sit, you can kneel, you can stand. Do it however you want. But we're confessing our in honesty to God. I don't get it. But I trust that you do. And I know you're going to see me through to the other side you're going to be glorified through me. Let's worship and respond.